We are in the book of Jonah. If you have a Bible on your phone, on your iPad, in your hands, in a book, we'll have it on the screen as well. But Jonah chapter 2 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. It is a hard book to find um, between Obadiah and Nahum, I think. That doesn't clear it up at all. So Jonah chapter 2 is where we're going to go. It's funny. I was thinking this week as I've been studying Jonah, it's amazing how similar Jonah is to us. Right, we kind of talked about this this last week, but anybody ever feel sometimes like your emotions are just up here and then down here the next minute, and you're just not sure which way is up and down? That's what Jonah feels like to me. Like one minute Jonah is hearing from God, and God's saying, "I want you to go do this," and the next minute Jonah's like, "Cool, I'll go 2,500 miles the opposite direction." And then he's on the boat, and and, and the storm rages, and he's like, "That's ah, okay, I'll go sleep." And the captain comes down and says, you should pray. Well, I'm good. I'm a prophet. And they, they decide, well, you're the one that's guilty. And he says, well, cool. Throw me overboard, and I'll just drown, and you guys will all be okay. And then he's swallowed by a fish. Like, it's this nuts story. And I was thinking this week, like, that's how I feel a lot of times, not to those extremes, but I'm so excited for our new building. I'm a change junkie, so I'm, I'm excited for new places, right? I get excited about that. I like change. I like difference. And then I was also like, I'm super frustrated that we have to move again, Here's what I got to thinking, though. Don't read this Jonah story so literally that you think maybe I'm the reason we keep moving. Because I don't want you to just throw me on the train tracks and be like, maybe if we sacrifice the pastor, we'll get a permanent building. <laughs> like I, I was like, I hope they don't interpret that that way. But Jonah really is this, this kind of up and down story. And I think it's a story that many of us can resonate with. So we're going we're gonna to jump right into it today. And I want to review just quickly, if you weren't here last week, you need to catch up to this story. Last week, we kind of hit the part of the Jonah story that if you grew up in church, you probably got this part. This is probably the part that they told. But Jonah 1, verse 1, says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And God said to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, here's what we learn here, right? Very quickly, we know that God is speaking to Jonah. We understood, we studied last week that uh, Nineveh was part of the Syrian empire and they were just the nastiest of the nasty. They would pillage, they would attack villages, they would torture people. And so Jonah says, I hate those people. I don't want any part of this. And he catches a ship to go literally 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. That's how far he wants to run away from God. But God basically says, no, no, no. This assignment's too important to let you run from me. You ever felt like that? Like, God just won't stop hounding you, won't leave you alone, won't get off your back, right? And that's what, what happens as Jonah's on this boat. He sends, God sends a big storm. It's about to crush the boat. The captain goes down to Jonah, says, you're a prophet. You should pray for us. Maybe if you pray, we'll be okay. But here's what we, we learned. Jonah was a runaway prophet. He was a prophet who had stopped praying. He'd stopped listening to God. He'd stopped following the things that God said. So this storm rages on, and the sailors want to figure out, like, what's going on? What are we going to do? They cast lots, right? They, they, it's, I, don't know, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but they kind of said, show us who's guilty, and they cast lots, kind of like spin the bottle maybe. I don't know. And it was like Jonah. Jonah's the one, and Jonah says, fine, I'm guilty. I've run away from God. Throw me overboard. And they do. And that's where we pick up today. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. Now, the Lord provided, all the fishermen say, huge fish, right, if you're a fisherman. It's a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, just pause there and consider this because I kind of blew past this last week. Think about what is taking place. Think about, maybe it was the middle of the night that Jonah's on board and he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. Just, just toss me overboard. 
He's recognizing in that moment, there's no other option for Jonah other than to recognize they have to let me die in order to be spared. They have to let me go. I understand that I am going to drown and it's going to consume me and life is over. That's how bad things have gotten for Jonah. And yet, as he's thrown overboard, now, I, I've always thought drowning sounds like one of the worst ways to die. They say that it's not. They say it's like going to sleep. I don't know who they are or how they know, but that's what they say, right? Now, here's the thing. I've always thought about that, and I think Jonah maybe is experiencing that, as we'll see today, but all at once, he comes to, maybe spouting water out, and he finds himself in the belly of a fish. Now, what's your thought at this moment? My thought, yeah, gross. My thought is, seriously, God? Like, seriously, this is what you're going to do. You weren't done with me. I know I screwed up. I gave my life up. I was trying to save the sailors, so now you're going to put me in the belly of a fish, and at some point this fish is going to digest me. That sounds great. I don't know what that's like. Can you imagine what this would have been like? Terrifying. Now, I wonder if he's thinking over the next 72 hours what this means Exactly. See, if I was sitting in the belly of fish, if you were sitting in the belly of fish, I think we would be in more despair than we ever had been before. Oh, great. Oh, like God, why, why couldn't you? And here's what Jonah says in this book. It says the Lord provided, everybody say provided, provided a huge fish. At that point in my life, I'm like, no thanks. Like I'm good. I'd rather just drown. I'm good. They say it's okay. They say it's like going to sleep. But the Lord provided a huge fish. So the prayer that we're going to see in this chapter comes from Jonah in the belly of a fish. He's in a pit. He's in his abyss, his utter state of helplessness. And I want to pause there because I want to draw this point out for you. Maybe you don't realize this. Maybe this is where you feel like you are, but don't miss this. The place of our helplessness is often the heart of God's plan. When you find yourself stripped of everything that you've relied on, everything that you've depended on, when the money runs out, when the relationships break down, when you're overcome by all, that place of helplessness is often the place where God says, that's my plan. That's where I've wanted you to get to because finally, Jonah, I have your attention. What's he going to do in the belly of a fish, right? Like there's no checkers. There's no phone to scroll. There's nothing there. Like I got to, okay, what am I going to do? And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you feel like you're just a step away from there. You see those relationships out of control, falling apart. You you got the diagnosis that you've always feared, the news of being let go from work that you thought you were immune to. Whatever it is, you're in a place or headed to a place where you have absolutely no control. And as we read chapter 2 today, you're going to see the prayer from the place of helplessness. And I think that's what makes this prayer so powerful. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, everybody say inside the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, now just pause because I want you to miss, I want you to get this word. The word distress there in Hebrew is the word sarah. Now what that word means, sarah, it literally means this just agonizing despair. It, it, it literally, it means like narrow or tightening right? It's a distress. It's an agony. It's Sarah. Uh, some, some scholars compare it to the whole experience of childbirth. All the moms in the room are like, oh yeah, I get, I get Sarah. I understand that now, right? That's what he's saying. In my agony, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now that in the realm of the dead, in the King James, I like the King James better here. It says out of the belly of hell, 
Out of the belly of hell, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The word is sheol. It means grave or hell. Jonah says, I was going down. He says, I was in hell, and Yahweh heard my cry. See, Jonah recognizes the hell he entered into and how God has been working behind the scenes. He says, I went over the edge of the boat, and I felt the struggle. I felt the fear, the terror, the anger, because I had run away, and I had given up. He says, I knew what hell was because I was only a few moments away from death, and I was sinking. And then he says, God heard my cry. He said, I made a decision. I cried out, and God listened. When I was at my worst, God was actually at his best. And that's the way God works. God met Jonah in his honesty right in the middle of his surah, of his sheol, of his distress and his hell. We might say it this way. When your life goes to hell, your heart should cry to heaven. Because that's the choice Jonah makes. He says, when everything's falling apart, I'm going to choose to cry out to God. I don't know if God's going to answer. I'm pretty sure he's not. I mean, can you imagine Jonah being in the water, being like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. The boat's sailing away. God's got me. He wasn't a superhero prophet. He was a runaway prophet, and he's sinking, going, God, you got to do something, because I can't handle this right now. Some of you get this. You own this because you're walking through it. You know what Sheol feels like. You know what Sarah feels like because you've been there. You've walked, you've fought, you've been crushed by the distress. The struggle's always there. And you know what it means to live this way. But today, I'm inviting you in this prayer to cry out like Jonah to a God who hears you. Jonah expands on this. Look at verse three. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath me, or beneath, barred me in forever. Listen, you may hear me say this all the time, that we choose to praise God. We choose to worship God when things are falling apart. And you may be, if you're honest, you may just say, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't, well, you don't understand, Justin. When my life is falling apart, how am I supposed to praise God? How am I supposed to worship God? And friends, if I'm honest, there are seasons, there are moments in my life where I feel the exact same way. I've looked at the bank account that keeps dwindling, and I go, I have no answer how to get more in there. I've seen relationships fall apart, and you wonder if it's your fault, or you wonder what, what could have saved. I, I understand that. Maybe it's the anxiety, the fear, the depression. I understand how difficult it can be. But Jonah's prayer shows us the practical, tangible next step. See, well, here's, what, here's what Jonah does. And he shows us this. It's possible to surrender to the abyss and still look to the Almighty. He is sinking, literally saying, it's okay. All this stuff is wrapping me up. It's swirling around me. I'm I'm in despair. I'm in distress. But I will look to the Almighty. Did you see all the descriptions of this? This This is poetry, by the way. His prayer is poetry. And it is beautiful. The way he describes this sinking. Think about the movement down, the darkness. He says, I was hurled into the depths. The current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Engulfing waters surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. That's the grossest part of the whole story for me. I just, anyway, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. This is so disturbing. 
This is a story of a man who's watching his life ebb away. How many of you saw the film several years ago, 127 Hours? Anybody see this, this movie? This was a story of a man named Aaron Ralston. And in 2003, this man was hiking in southeast Utah. And as he was hiking, a large, probably 800-pound rock had come loose and trapped his arm against the, cave, uh, against the canyon wall. And he was stuck there for five nights, 127 hours. He, shouted, he, he said that he shouted out in the early hours looking for help. And he said that it was the scariest moment of his life because his voice just disappeared into nothing. He knew nothing was there. No one was there. And there was no help coming. That's where Jonah finds himself. He finds himself in this place, the edge of terror. And, and here's the thing, right in the middle of all this terror, the engulfing waters, the seaweed, the sinking down to the roots, the earth barring him in. Here's what he says in verse 4. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Now, everybody watch this. Yet, everybody say yet. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. See, right in the middle, right smack dab in the depths of his abyss, his Sarah, his hell, Jonah makes a choice to look toward the Almighty. He chooses from all that down stuff, all that ugly stuff, all that terror. He says, I will look up. Aaron Ralston did the same thing. If you've seen the movie, you know how grueling this is because Aaron Ralston has to make a choice. And I think we watched the film because we know the story. He chose to remove his arm so that he could become free. Now, here's what I think we missed when we watched the film. He had another choice. He made the choice to live, or at least to try to live, because he had to cut his arm off and crawl seven miles and find his way to help. But his other choice was simply cut in a way that your life would end. Let yourself die. That's the choice that he had to make. He chooses to say, I want to live. You may be in the abyss right now. You may find yourself in a season where it feels like life can't get much worse. And I want you to hear this right now and right here. In that place, in that moment, in that season, in that circumstance, you have a choice, just like Aaron Ralston, just like Jonah, you have a choice to give up, to keep giving up, to keep laying down, getting knocked down, whatever, or you have a choice to live. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be awful. It's going to be hard. Jonah's not sitting in the belly of the fish going, God, you're so amazing. Let's sing not to us, but to your name. He's going, I'm in a freaking fish, but I'm alive, and I'm going to look towards the Almighty. My favorite word there is yet, yet, full of hope, full of potential. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Look at the second part of verse 6. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So if this prayer starts with the descent into the drowning of the waters, it's all about now rising up. He says, God, but you, Lord, my God, I've told you this before, when there's a but God in the Bible, you better pay attention to God's but because it's super important. But you, Lord, my God, you, God stepped in. Jonah prayed, but God said, no, no, you're not done. I don't want you to miss this, though. This was not an instantaneous answer to prayer. This was a whole lot of steps, a whole lot of planning, a whole lot of watch God working behind the scenes. I don't know if you noticed this or not. God said to Jonah, go. What did Jonah say? No, I'm not going. God said, well, I'm going to send a storm. And, said, and Jonah said, fine, I'll go downstairs to the boat and I'll fall asleep. And the captain said, Jonah, you should pray. Jonah said, well, just throw me overboard and we'll end it all together. And God says, no, no, here's a fish and you're going to be spared. 
See, there's a lot of steps taking place there. Even if you're here, think about this. Even if you're in your own abyss, what if, would you consider, would you wonder just for a minute, what if God is working behind the scenes to orchestrate your life in ways that you've never seen? What if your healing is a 10-step process? And what if you're on step three? I know that's not good news. But what if you can't see the other steps? Some of you are like, it's a 4,000-step process, and I'm still on step three. I get it. But see, God works behind the scenes. God's working in the little things. Phase four of your steps may be Sarah. It may be distress. It may be hell. But phase five may be the fish that spares you and says, no, you're not going to die. You're going to be okay. We're going to walk beside you because God is going to step in. But God, but God. And it's only in that moment that Jonah takes back on his calling. Look at verse 8. This is is so wild to me. Think about this in context of the rest of the prayer. Here's what he says in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Now, I don't know if you read that the way that I do, but I read that and Jonah's going, I was sinking. Like it's all emotion, right? How many emotion heart people do we have? I was drowning. The seaweed was around my head. The roots of the mountains, I could see them. The earth was, and and all this was happening, but I chose to look towards God and God delivered me. And he's like, hey, pause. I got an intellectual message I want you to get. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. It's like he inserts a sermon right in the middle. Is that weird? You know what most scholars think he's doing? This is so cool. Most scholars think this is Jonah prophesying again. You know Jonah was a prophet, right? See, they think that Jonah actually in this moment, in his despair, in his abyss, crying out to God, trusting God's deliverance, that he actually steps back into his calling. That he actually stops running away in this very moment and says, yeah, I have a message to give. Those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. And I think he's saying, because I did that. I had my idols, I had my idol of self. I had my idol of thinking that I could get away from Nineveh because I hate those people. And, God, and, and, and we need the same thing. See, here's the thing that you got to understand. The runaway prophet who had stopped talking to God now in the belly of a fish, in the midst of the stomach acid of the fish. Are you with me? Is this gross yet? you got to stay awake here. He says, it's time for me to be a prophet again. And you know what that shows us? Listen, don't miss this. When we find God's deliverance in the midst of our distress, our calling will be clarified. If you think you're going to find God's calling from all the easy places in your life, it's bad news for you because none of us trust God, rely on God, depend on God as much as when we're in distress. When we see God's deliverance in the midst of the distress, that's when we go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand it. Jonah says, I've been resurrected. I've come back from the fish. But his resurrection starts here in the pit, in that acid-filled tummy, that crazy hell where he finds himself. Jonah looks at his life, looks at God's deliverance and says, all those idols, they were useless. They were useless. See, here's what I see about people. I've shared this before, and this sounds kind of weird, but I would, I would take the job of doing 100 funerals before I would do five weddings. And I'll tell you why that is. Because weddings are about posturing and presentation and putting ourselves out there and performing. Funerals, people are at their worst and they're stripped bare and they're ready to listen and hear from God. They're ready to hear from God. They're ready to hear something real. I think God allows us to go through these pits so that he can clarify his voice in our life. So so when Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them, what is the idol that you're holding on to? For most of us, we have idols in our life. We have idols of self. 
right? We hold up these self-idols that we think, if I can just be successful in this, gain status in this, if I can get more money, if I can just continue in these relationships, and we may know, ah, this is, these are not the things God has laid out for us. It's not the way that he wants us to be, but we're fighting with our idols because we're going, but I'm lonely every Friday night. I should go enter into a relationship with someone. I, I should go and just entertain myself, whatever, and God says, no, I'm going to strip those things away from you because you're missing my love. You're missing my love for you. That's what Jonah says. And then he continues his story. Look at verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise. Can you imagine Jonah just shouting in the belly of a fish? He's like, Jesus! I don't know if he knew Jesus at that point. But he's like, oh, this is amazing. God, thank you for saving me from the water, saving me from... If you were there, here's what I know would have happened. Some of you are so rational that you would have looked at him and gone, do you realize we're still in a fish and Jonah's going, no, we have to be grateful. That's seaweed. Remember the seaweed. Remember the roots of the mountain. Remember the earth was barring us in. Don't miss us. And we'd be going, I just, I just come back later, right? Like, that's what we would be doing. You guys are looking at me like you think I'm crazy. You know how I know this? Because we sing songs proclaiming, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. Be the glory. And we're standing here like this. Not to us. I clap twice, I'm good, but to your name be the glory. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. You guys are like this. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Love this song. How do we do that? How do we live into that when we have a Savior who gave up his life for us, when some of us don't realize that we've not been rescued, that we've been rescued from the pits of hell? If I walked up to you and I said, do you, do you know that you were in hell and God pulled you out of it? Now sing this song. And you're like, I stand with arms high. Come on. We're missing it. We're missing what the gospel is all about because here's the thing. Those who survive an abyss, they're going to live a new story. Jonah has a new story. Can you, I, listen, I don't want to drown and I don't want to end up in a fish's belly, but I want to tell that story. And I can't tell that story till I live that story. You ever, you ever heard, it, maybe you've been, like, you've been around friends and they're telling some amazing story. And you had the opportunity to go with them and experience it and you chose something just to, you ever, anybody ever had that experience? Like maybe they met somebody famous and you're just like, I can't believe you got it. Ah. And, and you're just sitting there going, I could have been there. See, this is our faith, right? Oftentimes when we run away from God, we're missing the stories that he wants to write in our lives. What's your story? What fish has God spit you out of, right? What pit have you found Jesus in? What's the Sarah or the Sheol, the distress in hell that he's delivered you from? See, some of you, listen, don't miss this. Some of you are here and you think your story's about over and God's saying, no, it's just the first act. You don't understand. There's a fish coming and it's gonna swallow you and it's gonna be awesome. One more thing about this passage, and this is, this is a point I want to make, but I didn't have a great place to put it, so we're going to kind of jump a little bit. He, verse 1, look at this again. In my distress, in my Sarah, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From deep in the realms, realm of the dead, in hell, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. There's a man named Harrison Okini, and back in 2013, he was a 29-year-old chef on a ship. And he was sailing on the ship, and 11 other crewmates were on the ship, and the, the, the ship was hit by waves and suddenly capsized and sank 100 feet down. What you're seeing 
is the rest, the, the exploration of the ship as these divers are finding corpse after corpse after corpse. Eleven of the sailors die. Harrison O'Keeney happened to get trapped in a pocket of air. And for seven, watch, 72 hours, 100 feet below the surface of the ocean, he survived by drinking Coca-Cola. I told you it was good for you. And he began to recite the Psalms that he had been on the phone with his wife earlier that day talking. She said, Psalms 54 through 92, you need, to, you need to read these, know these. And he began 72 hours crying out these songs of deliverance. Now what you're going to see is the diver exploring, looking for bodies, because that's all they've found. And there's a hand. Now listen. He's alive. He's alive. Okay, keep him there. Keep him there. All right. Just He's alive. Imagine reaching for a hand that you thought was dead, and that hand grabs back. All right, just just reassure him. Pat him on the shoulder. Okay. All right. Look at his face. Okay, okay, just reassure him. Give him a thumbs up. You can go ahead and the slide, too. See, listen. Okini says that while he spent the days in that tiny air pocket, he began calling on the name of God, reminiscing on these verses. Jonah says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. See, Jonah's prayer, don't miss this, is a journey from hell to trust. It's a journey of despair to deliverance. Because later he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And watch what happens as he takes this journey from distress to deliverance. It says, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited say vomited because we don't do that in church enough. It vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah has gone from the beginning of his birth, the place of distress, to his, his own hell, to proclaiming salvation comes from the Lord. Now here's what I know about